This is episode 117 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share with you that I created a brand new free prenatal pelvic floor resource for you. It's a free ebook with three common misconceptions when it comes to preparing your pelvic floor for birth and includes three tips of what to do instead. If you're pregnant or know someone who is, this resource is key for preparing for birth. The tips I share are what I teach and have worked through with hundreds of prenatal physiotherapy clients and I use myself with both of my pregnancies. Also, a bonus is that two of these tips will also give you a head start on your postpartum recovery by understanding how to connect to your pelvic floor before you even give birth. You can go to the link in the show notes for this episode at tobirthandbeyond.com or to my website, holistichealthphysio.com to download your free ebook today. So welcome back to another episode of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And today I'm very excited to have a special guest on, Robin Sinnott, who is not only a phenomenal public health and orthopedic physiotherapist in Burlington, Ontario, Canada, but Robin is also one of my closest friends. Um, we did our kinesiology and physiotherapy degrees together, and we were also bridesmaids in each other's wedding. And yeah, we've just been really close ever since. So um, this feels extra special today to have a chance to have Robin on the podcast. So thank you for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel I feel the same way. It's an honor to be able to be a part of this really cool podcast. And, and you've done a great job creating it. So thank you. Thank you. And I know Jess says hi as well. Nice, um, yes. <laughs> so um, today's topic is really relevant. The timing worked out really well for having Robin on uh, with what's going on today. So today, as of recording this, it's April 10th, 2020. And we're in the midst of COVID-19, which is affecting the entire world. So as I mentioned, both Jess, myself and Robin, we're in Canada, and we know every country the timing is, of how this has been affected has been different. So perhaps where you're listening from, you may be ahead or kind of behind of where we're at, but we know everyone is being affected. And so we're going to be talking about how stress and overwhelm affects our body and particularly our experience of pain. Now in past episodes, Jess and I have talked about, uh, specifically pelvic pain or pelvic girdle pain. And most recently, we did an episode about the impacts of stress on our pelvic floor symptoms. So we'll be sure to link all of those episodes if you haven't listened to them. Or this could be a great time to go back and re-listen to them. Uh, because perhaps you're experiencing these symptoms, or perhaps they've come back and haven't been around for a while. And it's a, it's a good refresher 
to really understand all the different factors involved in how and why we experience pain. So I'm very excited that Robin's going to be on because she's going to be diving into this topic and about pain in general. So yes, we will talk about pelvic pain, but also pain anywhere in our body, I think is really important to talk about, especially right now. Um, but before we dive into questions, um, Robin, can you share a little bit more about yourself for any listeners who um, aren't familiar with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, so yes, I've been longtime friends with Anita. <laughs> um, and we met uh, in kinesiology, but then went on to do physiotherapy together. And that was about a decade ago, just crazy. And I've been a physiotherapist and a yoga teacher for about a decade now. Um, my practice has evolved quite a bit over the years and it has a strong focus on holistic care um, with, I like to call it a biopsychosocial spiritual perspective, which uh, I think Shelly Prosco was the one to teach me that part. But it, it takes into account all the parts of the human that I meet. And I started in pelvic health in 2015. And since then, I mainly work with people that have a vagina in their reproductive years. So it could be fertility or painful periods, uh, pregnancy, birth. That's kind of my focus. And I recently have been a lot more focused on trauma and um, how to make sure that I have a a trauma-sensitive practice. And that kind of integrates yoga, mindfulness, um, nervous system regulation, and pain science all together. And very recently, I've been working on a course um, for helping practitioners to become more resilient and creating a trauma-sensitive practice for themselves. Yeah, and I live at home with my husband and my two-year-old son and my dog. And... uh, we're spending a lot of time together lately. <laughs> yes, for where we are, we're going into, I'm losing track of time. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're going into week four, I believe, yeah. at least here mm-hmm. um, in Canada, specifically in Ontario, of being recommended to stay home and to isolate. Yeah, um, physically distant, yes. distance ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Like I said, this is perfect timing for this episode. And so kind of given the situation that is going on and so many of us experiencing significant stress, again, everyone can be experiencing it for different reasons or in different ways, Um, Mm -hmm. but not only stress, but also grief and isolation. Robin, can you explain a bit about what happens when we do experience stress? Yeah. So stress can be an actual or a perceived Um, increased demand or threat on our body, our mind, or our spirit, or all of them together. And so recently, I have kind of learned a little bit more about the polyvagal theory. And that's a theory that Dr. Stephen Porges puts out. And um, the reason I liked it for helping me to understand stress was that it really helps to connect the body and the mind. And so I'd been finding in my practice that just treating the body wasn't helpful for a lot of people. And I know that a lot of people and clients that I'd seen had been doing just talk therapy and it wasn't always as helpful just on its own. And so 
what I loved about this is it kind of explains why doing both, addressing the mind and the body, kind of helps you to get into your nervous system and make a greater impact. So with stress, um, it's innate and normal for us to react kind of like mammals do um, when they're faced with a predator. And so they go into fight, flight, or freeze, which a lot of people have heard of when, when you talk about stress. And that can look different for everyone. But I kind of like to think of our brain first. And so if you think of our brain on a very general level, there's the lizard brain, which is like the brainstem and the cerebellum, and, and that's our innate survival mechanism. That's what's activated in stress. Then we have the mammal brain, which is the limbic system and emotions and memories and all that. And then you have the human complex reasoning brain on top of that. And again, it's the instinctive lizard brain that produces our stress response and our survival response. It's innate and it's automatic, and it's not something that we really can consciously control. And so just even giving us ourselves permission to accept that our response in a time of stress is pretty innate. It's not something that we, we should judge or have, that we have control over. So in polyvagal theory, they kind of explain it like, uh, imagining that any stress that we have is like a predator chasing us. And so that's a common theory that that's often used with birth too, right? So if you think of it like that, even though in cavemen days, let's say that would have been an actual predator. Now it's not really, it's COVID-19 is not an actual predator <laughs> that you can fight and financial stress, emotional stress, all of that isn't necessarily a predator, but our body still has that same physical response and actually emotional response as if it was. And so you can think of it like a traffic light and that's how we go through the steps. And so this is just one way to think of it, but I really liked it, it connected for me. So when we, become, when we come upon a stress, um, you first go through the green light. And if you think of that, you can think of that as our social engagement. And so what we do first is we look around and we kind of see, are the people around us calm? Do we have people around us that are supporting us? Can we see that everyone's body language is calm? Or are we seeing a lot of people that are tense? Can we see people smile and crease their eyes? Can we um, hear a slow and a low voice speaking to us? Those are all things that indicate safety to us. And they actually stimulate a relaxation response in our body. And that's actually called co-regulation. And so we can regulate our response by seeing someone else regulate their response. If we see someone who's calm, we become calm. If we see someone who's tense and amped up, that also happens to us or can. So if we can see that and we can see around us there's lots of calm, then we tend to go into more of a calm state in our nervous system. And that's called parasympathetic or ventral vagal in the polyvagal theory. And so that's when our body goes into relax mode and 
all the blood in our body comes back to our center, our digestion improves, our sleep improves, uh, we have decreased cortisol and increased oxytocin, our muscles relax, our pelvic floor muscles relax, and we have a normalized libido or hormone cycles. Healing and immunity also happens when that happens. So that's wonderful. If that doesn't tend to happen, then we would go to the next state of survival, and that would be like a yellow light. And so yellow light is what we know as our flight or fight, or our sympathetic nervous system response, which is our body's way of helping us mobilize to deal with the stressor. And so first, in the mammal response or the instinctive response, we try and run away because that is the safest, easiest option. And so that might feel to us like anxiety or an adrenaline response, or it might feel like we can't sit still or fear. We might get poor sleep or have irritable bowel in that state. Sometimes we have to go to the bathroom more often when we're there. Um, with that, trying to get away from the enemy or to fight the enemy, we also have all our blood go to our muscles for flight or fight. So running away or fighting the enemy. And so I think this would be a good time if you're more interested in this to also go to that episode uh, 115 on stress and your pelvic floor. We'll talk a little more about it after, but, but that's kind of where this fits in, right? If your pelvic floor is impacted by the stress, then that's huge for pelvic health concerns. So when we're in a sympathetic state, our hormones also go to prioritize the production of cortisol, which helps us survive. And instead of making reproductive hormones, so we tend to get a low libido here. And so, okay, so we try and run away from the enemy, but we can't. So then we would go to fight which would be if we can't escape our enemy or the stressor, we would try and fight them. And so that can feel like muscle tension, aggression, rage, anger. It can be high blood pressure. And so, again, if we could run away from the enemy or if we could fight the enemy and escape, then we go to that calm nervous system state again. But if we can't run away or fight the enemy, then we go to the red light. And so in that lizard brain um, as an animal red light looks like playing dead and so it's our final attempt at survival by immobilizing or shutting everything down and that in the polyvagal theory is called dorsal vagal complex so it's also known as freezer faint and it's also a helpful thing so if we were really trying to escape uh, predator going into this playing dead mode helps to hopefully um, allow the predator to lose interest in us and so if if we're dead who cares right it just leaves and and we're safe so then that brings us back to that safe calm mode and if they don't lose interest actually playing dead helps us to numb or it releases endorphins so that we could survive an attack. So again, that's a really 
great option for survival. It's our only option at that point. Okay, so that's kind of the, the traffic light explanation of what happens when we're in stress mode. And in the red, it can look like numbness or exhaustion or collapse. It can look like dissociation or it can look like you feel exhausted and you don't want to get up and do anything. Uh, sometimes uh, it could look like depression as well. And so if you think of what's going on in the world, COVID is pretty much the red. <laughs> uh, the pandemic, you, you can't look around and get social feedback from anyone because we're in isolation. You have your family with you, yes, but it's not the same as what we're used to. We're used to seeing so many more people around us that can give us feedback that we're all safe. And then, so if then we try and run away from it, you really can't, and you can't really fight it. And so we're all kind of in this, or a lot of us are in this playing dead mode or this shut down, freeze and faint. And so it can feel really like hard to move or do anything. And that might happen that you kind of cycle through, maybe you're in shutdown one day and then one day you get a, a big surge of adrenaline and anxiety one day, or maybe you get a little bit of anger, right? And maybe you have a great call with one of your friends and then you move into the green light. And so our stress response can go into any of those lights, depending on where we're at. Yeah, I really like that. I haven't heard the light analogy before. And I think mm -hmm. that's such a helpful way to explain each of those. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people are going to resonate with yeah, understanding which light that they're in currently. And I totally agree, like the cycling through. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I even feel that personally, I feel like I kind of go through different, different lights, even throughout the same day, kind yeah. of depending what you're feeling. And then also how you talked about, um, you know, feeding off of what other people are feeling. And I think too, if you have kids at home that yes, you may totally. see, um, their actions or personality or what they're doing they're also feeding off of what we're going through because they're seeing our actions and our reactions to what's going on. I totally agree. That's absolutely. And, and then I've been noticing myself even like, okay, so he's definitely feeding off me when I'm stressed, but then I also feed off him when he has a tantrum that doesn't help my stress, stress system, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, none of those lights are bad. They're all helpful for our survival. It's just, we try not to get stuck in one. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was gonna say. It's like when we're, yeah, when we're essentially stuck in one and can't get back to that green. Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, does, what does pain then have to do with stress? Yeah. So, I mean, pain and stress are really intertwined. So pain for many people can be their stress. And stress, we know from the research, can increase our sensitization and then increase our pain. So they go together so significantly. And the way that I found it kind of related with polyvagal theory was that pain is one of the main ways that our body warns us of the threat and so it can be an actual or a potential threat 
So that means something that really is dangerous or something that we're worried will be dangerous. And so it could be a potential threat in our body or in the outside world around us. And so in acute pain, so that's pain that's in like the first, let's say 72 hours ish, but it could go in some cases up to two weeks. So that's the first little bit after an injury. And our pain is a warning telling us to be careful and protect the area. Because if we do too much or move a certain way, we actually could threaten to hurt that area more. And so again, pain's pretty helpful there. Um, in persistent pain, um, that's when the normal course of healing over time doesn't really result in a reduction of pain. And so instead, the pain is then a result of a sensitized nervous system in which the warning, um, it's much louder and stronger than it typically would be. So it's warning you of a potential threat way before, way sooner than it used to, or it's warning you way louder and sending very like significant pain. And so just to make sure that I say this, all of those pains are real and they're all from our nervous system. And some have to do with injured tissues or uh, like muscles or bones, and some have to do with how our nervous system is interpreting our world and how it's sensitized to that and so again i'm going to uh quote shelly prosco quite a bit not quote her but but give her credit for all this so um she also said something which i really loved and and she said that all pain is an output of the human so when i first learned it we learned like all pain is an output of the brain but i really liked the human because pain has to do with like all your thoughts your expectations your emotions the immune system the nutrition that you have and your past experiences with injury there's a lot and your environment at the time and so your brain constantly and your nervous system constantly interprets the environment and evaluates the amount of threat or danger based on your beliefs, your memories, your experiences, and your situation and your mood. And so that's where, again, the polyvagal theory comes in. If there's a threat, you get pain. So if you're in yellow or red, you are more likely to experience a little bit of that pain, if, especially if you're experiencing danger in those. So if you experience danger that can amplify the warning to get out of there right and pain is our warning to get out of there um, if you feel safe and supported that can like silence the pain and so if we think about how we can get ourselves back into the green light that also can be what helps us get out of pain and so with that um, there is some evidence that stress hormones, the adrenaline and cortisol, they increase our hypersensitivity in our nerves. And so then we feel pain sooner. And then we also know that endorphins, which are feel good hormones, 
they do the opposite. So they increase our ability to tolerate pain. Yeah, and I think it's good to mention too, if you're hearing this, and when we talk about persistent pain, so often when Jess and I talk to you, that is the language that I use. Um, and traditionally, a lot of people would say chronic pain. Yeah. So perhaps you are experiencing chronic pain um, and you're kind of resonating with what we're talking about, but then maybe it's not um, crossing over when we talk about persistent pain. But basically, that's the language that a lot of professionals are now using and encouraged to use versus chronic pain. Um, and in terms of with the stress, I think it's good to bring up as well that when we talk to our clients, like some, well, a lot of time this stress or these um, kind of factors involved with our experience of pain are subconscious. So oftentimes we're, you know, encouraging clients to you know, take some time to think about maybe factors, maybe you didn't think were stressful or related to your stress. And mm -hmm. for some people, it may not come up for weeks or months or years down the road. And then they look back and realize, okay, that was actually a stress to my system, but I just had no idea that it was. Yeah. And I think our, our society has really, um, rewarded focus on our like neocortex logical analyzing brain which really truly takes us out of our body and so it is really hard sometimes if you've been out of your body for a long time it's really hard to go back into it and realize what feels safe and what doesn't because there's so many societal like well I should be okay with this so it can't be that right and so Sometimes it takes a long time to realize what those messages are and whether they're actually our thoughts or they're just what we've been taught. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and that goes back to even things we've experienced as children or yeah. you've experienced abuse as a child and that often yeah. will take you out of your body. Yeah. And so you know, that can really contribute to perhaps the pain you may be experiencing as an adult or later in life. Yeah. So if you if you think about that, too, um, if you did experience that as a child, chances are that you couldn't escape or fight it. So you might be in in the red uh, freeze or faint mode or shutdown. And just to normalize that response it could look like depression, it could look like numbness or dissociating. And to know that that actually is the best way for you to get through the stress that you're going through. And so it might be that your body is a little stuck in that mode. But it was there for a very important reason. And that it wasn't failing you, it was actually helping you. Mm -hmm. And so let's go into also some of the myths around pain, because there's a lot of them. Yes. So <laughs> and I'm, I'll touch on a couple. But. Yes, yeah. There, um, and again, and we've talked about in many episodes too, and I know um, a lot of health professionals are now, it's now being spoken about a lot more, but still much more education needs to be out there. So yeah. So Robin, if you could share some of those myths about pain. Yeah. So uh, the first one that is um, 
right along there with the uh, whole societal focus on logical analytical brain is no pain, no gain. So the harder you work and the more you feel discomfort, the better you'll be, right? So if we go back a bit and think of pain as our warning of potential threat, if we ignore the warning and keep doing what it's telling us not to, what do you, like, what's gonna happen? The pain's gonna get louder and try and warn you more, or your stress response will get louder and stronger so that you listen to it more too. And so actually doing the no pain, no gain can result in flare ups or it could result in kind of your body trying to signal you in other ways um, if you're not listening, right? Um, the other one, so to go on the opposite end of that is to always avoid things that cause pain. And so similarly, um, avoiding activities can lead to fear of movement and then movement becomes the stressor as well. And so if you're becoming stressed about movement, that itself can create the pain warning with the movement. And so that's not ideal either. So then, okay, well, if, I, if you can't do enough to cause pain and you can't avoid pain, what are you left with, right? So I think the way I've come to kind of find the middle ground is if we can maybe view pain as our body's way of trying to protect us. So it's actually our helping friend and it's there to keep us safe. And so if we can maybe approach movement or new activities or different things like that with curiosity and maybe like a playfulness and exploring, you know, what kind of activities are bothering me and, and can I do them just a little new way that might not hurt? Uh, what if I do it this way, right? Like just change this little thing. Does it feel better? And so bringing that sense of playfulness actually is kind of a safety cue for us. And when we view our pain as our friend, that also takes away the threat and the fear surrounding it. And so maybe it can be like a conversation with our pain instead of a fight. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I feel like, um, Hearing you say do something different, I just always think of Antony Lowe, Lowe, who's another physiotherapist, <laughs> yeah. um, who always said, you know, just do something different and mm. then see what your body feels like. And mm. I find encouraging clients to do that. It's a lot of like light bulb moments happen in the mm. clinic or now doing virtual appointments, seeing them on the other end, um, yes. discovering different ways to move and how that can affect their symptoms, whether it's pain or other symptoms. Um, mm. But sometimes we don't, we often don't need to get super detailed um, about it, that sometimes that might actually contribute to that, um, mm. that, that symptom or sensation. So just doing something different and see how your body responds to it. Yeah, I, I think I love that part from Anthony Lowe. And I, I think he does a really great job of approaching things with such curiosity and like lightheartedness. And if we can do that with our own body and our pain and our activity, I think it totally takes away that fear and that um, threat 
from what we're doing. Were there any other myths that you wanted to, to bust about those, pain or those were the key those ones? Those are the main yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. Love <laughs> I'm sure there's tons. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so then how can we address both pain and stress in our life? Yeah. So because they're so intertwined, kind of addressing one helps address the other. Um, one of the things I learned again from Shelly Prosco, but also from, I think she was talking about it as it was from Lorimer Mosley and David Butler. And they talk about um, Sims and Dims. And so Sims are safety in me and Dims are danger in me. And so when the balance of dangers in me is larger than the amount of safety in me, you experience pain. And so that is also the, the threat system, right? So if we're sensing a threat, then we kind of like go down that traffic light. And if we can bring back safety, we go back up to green. Green, that's also pain-free or hopefully, right? So thinking of like maybe going through a list or taking the time to really think about what brings me a feeling of safety um, or a feeling of joy and pleasure, those things are um, safe for us typically, um, or a feeling of freedom. Like when are you free to be yourself? That kind of, when you feel that, Generally, that's also a safety sign for your body. And so when you're in a moment of stress or in a moment of pain or an episode of pain, then trying to do more of those safety cues can help bring down your pain because it also brings down your level of threat or stress. And so maybe it's that I mean, you can't always avoid those things that are that bring out danger in you. And so maybe it's even the fact that you're aware that it's a danger in you is helpful because then you know, okay, well, tomorrow is going to be a day with a high amount of danger in it. How can I bring myself back to safety and help myself regulate from that experience? Or again, knowing that it is your danger signals, sometimes just the mindfulness of being aware that that is the case can take the threat down because you know that's just my nervous system protecting me. I know that that is like a potential threat to me, but it's not an actual threat. And so knowing that can take away the actual threat or the response of the threat. That's yeah. one way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And um, so we've obviously been talking a lot about stress. Um, and right now with COVID-19, some stress, some stress is unavoidable. But the question is also, is all stress bad for us? Right. And so definitely not. Um, like I was kind of mentioning before, with the pandemic, um, if you're going through the, the traffic light and green is social engagement, that's hard to get. So we tend to go into the yellow, which might be like the flight or fight, and then sometimes into the red where we're shut down. And so that 
is not bad. What that's doing is helping us survive. And so in shutdown, we're reserving all of our energy for healing and for immunity. And maybe being in the shutdown mode also helps us to numb a little bit to all the crazy news we're reading or to get through the stress of the financial stuff that's going on. So maybe red isn't bad because it helps us get through it. And in other situations, or even now, yellow too, where you're in sympathetic nervous system, flight or fight, that can help us mobilize towards our goals. It can help give you that adrenaline rush that you need to uh, get through working from home while also taking care of kids at home. <laughs> um, it can give us energy for exercise um, and it gets us through really difficult things. So it is literally our friend, like it's, a, it's our survival mechanisms. Um, I would say that kind of as I touched on before, what we don't want to do is get like stuck in one area of that traffic light. And in animals, when they come upon a stress, they get this like buildup of adrenaline and cortisol and they run away. So they release it or they use it up uh, or they fight the enemy and all that muscle tension that's built up, they get to release it by fighting. And if they play dead, they still release it. So if an animal's playing dead from the predator and the predator leaves, the animal will get up and it will shake, kind of like our response to shock, like how we, you get that shaking that you can't stop. So animals will have that after playing dead. And that, again, releases all that stress energy that they were holding in there to survive. And we don't really do that. There's not many situations, right? Like, well, one, it's not always legal <laughs> to express aggression. <laughs> so we don't do that very often. And now it's hard to express adrenaline if you can't get out. In some places you can go for a run, but in bigger cities it's really hard because there's so many people out there. And so that's the hard part is how can we let that built up energy for stress, how can we let it complete the cycle and allow us to move into other parts of the traffic light? Yeah, no. So what would be, what would be some good strategies then? And I think it'd be helpful um, to talk about ways that we can kind of right now with how you said, like with social distancing, we can't necessarily do the same things to release tension. However, there is a lot that we can do to release that tension um, and stress to calm our nervous system. Yeah. And so moving in and out of the different stresses and, and kind of allowing ourselves to complete the cycles that helps us to have resiliency in our nervous system and it helps us to regulate our nervous system. So all this to say, like, allow yourself to feel the shutdown and allow yourself to feel anger and fear. And sometimes fighting our, our 
stress response or our emotions that go with it, that actually then doesn't let your body complete the cycle. And sometimes then we become our own threat. And, and when we judge how we're reacting, we then sort of become the, the enemy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just being in your response. And so with that, um, one of the options for kind of, it's really hard to not judge yourself sometimes. <laughs> that has been a, a pretty strong thing that our society has taught us to do, right? And shame is pretty strong too in our society. And so Dr. Kristen Neff, and again, Shelly Prosco. Um, and we should it, actually, I realize we haven't actually mentioned who Shelly Prosco yeah. is. Do you want to say a little bit about her? She's yeah. an amazing physio as well. Yeah, yeah. Shelly Prosco <laughs> is a, a physiotherapist and a yoga teacher in uh, Alberta, Canada. And so she does a lot of work on pelvic health and yoga and stress and actually self-compassion. So that's what she and and Dr. Kristen Neff have in common. And that's a way that we can kind of speak more kindly to ourselves and take away the threat that our own judgment, our self-judgment has. And so when uh, Dr. Neff did the research on self-compassion, Um, she found that when compared to self-esteem, it's associated with greater emotional resilience. So that's what we're looking for in the stress system, right? More accurate self-concepts, more caring relationship behavior, less narcissism, and less reactive anger. So it allows us to regulate our nervous system and keep healthy social engagement. So in compassion, compassion for others, it requires that we become aware of their suffering and that we are moved by their suffering suffering, so that we want to um, kind of respond as if that pain was our own a little bit, right? And it moves us to want to help and understand with kindness and actually not judgment. When we are expressing compassion to others, that's what we do. And so in compassion, you also realize that suffering and failure and imperfection are part of our experience as humans. And it's not that that's a failure of the person. It's just a part of being a human. And so most of us find it easier to do that for others and less easy to do that for ourselves. And so when you can offer it to yourself, that is a cue for safety in our own body. And so if we're going through a stress, speaking to ourselves with self-compassion, that can bring us back to safety. And so uh, Dr. Neff has this um, self-compassion break. And so the first step of that is, so when you're in a moment of suffering or stress, you first acknowledge that it's a moment of suffering and it sucks. Um, And so that's kind of like mindfulness a little bit. And you're not denying that you're going through it and you're not trying to cover it up. And you're also not trying to judge it. And then the second part is acknowledging that suffering is a part of life and you are not alone in this suffering, that 
a lot of people are suffering too and all humans suffer and fail and are imperfect. And then the third part is, may I be kind to myself in this moment? And so that's finding a way to offer yourself kindness. And so maybe that is feeling really stressed and saying, no, I do need a nap. <laughs> I'm gonna take a nap with my kid. Uh, or maybe it is taking a few deep breaths or maybe it's placing a hand on your heart and just giving yourself some loving touch that could release oxytocin. And so, yeah, bringing that back again, fighting the reality and the state of stress that we're in is actually sometimes just worsening the situation. So just letting yourself sit in shutdown can be more helpful than trying to like talk ourselves out of it. Oh, I should be doing all of this, right? That's so common. Um, in addition to that, there are lots of different things. So using video chat, that's a great way. You can see someone um, smile, you can see the crease in their eyes, you can hear their calming voice and see their body language that hopefully could be calming because they're also talking to you and seeing you smile, right? So you co-regulate together. On the contrary of that part, decreasing social media would maybe be a good call. So that tends to be saturated with a lot of judgment and comparison, and that can be a threat too. So trying to limit your time there. Play. Play is a really cool way to help your body move in and out of um, the stress response. So thinking of like, playing tug of war with your dog. That's technically like a form of fight, but it's safe fighting. So it gets you that like practice moving into fight or flight and then coming right back out of it once you're done playing with your dog or like snuggling your dog after and then that's your cue. Okay, I can come back to safety now, right? Um, the same thing goes for your kids. So wrestling with them or playing chase you're you're practicing with your adrenaline rush from flight but you're also in a safe situation running can do that too or like physical exercise um uh learning something new so that's kind of like play uh your curiosity and when you learn something new you kind of have to be in the present moment and mindful because all of your energy is going to like figure out the task at hand. And so what better time than in isolation <laughs> to learn something new, cross stitch, knit, sculpture, whatever, <laughs> um, singing and dancing. So singing actually is really great because it calms your breathing and really slows or lengthens your exhale. And there's some thought that the toning or the vibration in your throat can help to stimulate the vagal nerve, which has to do with the polyvagal theory. Uh, dancing and music is a great way to um, get that nervous system activation while still feeling safe. And you usually have fun doing it, um, especially with kids. Yoga, yoga has been shown in the research to stimulate that green light. So calming down your nervous system, um, improving your tolerance for pain. Um, so many benefits to yoga. That's like a whole podcast. 
episode. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we we at any time we talk about like pelvic pain, pelvic floor, like yin, yeah. well, yoga. Um, but yeah, yin yoga often yes. will come up just because there's been great evidence to show how helpful it can yeah. be. And you and I see it all the time with clients. Like it's yes. it's amazing. But again, it has to any of the things that Robin just mentioned. It's not that they're all going to be what works for mm -hmm. you, or you don't have to feel you connect with all of those because you might not. And so it's about finding what strategies do work for you. Um, because I know, and even like, I'm even thinking about right now, like mm -hmm. being at home and stuff, like sometimes for me, the flight is I will <laughs> go to another room and close the door because that is like a way to actually flee and like mm -hmm. kind of still sit in in what you're feeling but allowing you to kind of get away because um, mm -hmm. that's pretty much all the only way you can get away mm -hmm. right now um, or the deep breathing and I always yeah. tell clients I find it so interesting because growing up I feel like you'd hear from other people like just take a few deep breaths and as a kid you're like yeah 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 and then now <laughs> now as physios I'm like oh my gosh it's like it really works. Actually, it works. And when clients are just like the the impact of deep breathing, um, connecting to your breath is quite incredible. And I find for me right now, that's a huge strategy I use because you can use it mm -hmm. anywhere, anytime you don't need anything. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's that whole quote, like, it's such a simple quote, but just breathe. Like that's just says it all. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, there's a really cool study. I, I hope I can think of it off head, off the top of my mind rather. Um, but it found, I think, five minutes at least for a few times a day. So five to six times a day. If you could do slow breathing in a relaxed position, you had improved sleep, improved digestion, improved pain threshold so you your pain went down um, decreased feelings of anger depression uh, and tension and you stimulated the parasympathetic relaxation response with like five minutes of breathing that's so easy right and you could do so many different types you can do the four seven eight where you breathe in for four you hold for seven you breathe out for eight or you can do ujjayi breath, which is the yoga breathing that sounds like that ocean wave where you breathe in through your nose, you breathe out through that sort of noise on with a closed mouth. Um, or alternate nostril breathing does that too. So there's so many ways. And the most important part is just that it's slow and in a relaxed position. So yeah, huge during the day. Um, and to touch on that too, even just verbalizing what you're doing to your kids can actually help them co-regulate too. So just saying like, oh, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. I need to go take a break. Then that gives them permission too to go take a break when they're feeling overwhelmed, right? And for another option, um, so it is also good to safely release aggression. <laughs> But how do you do that? So, so that's something too, like talking with your kids and just going outside and like screaming, just let out screams. They do it. It's so cool to watch. Like I'll watch my son and he'll just scream for the weirdest things. Like I did not see it coming, but he'll scream and then he's fine. He just lets that out, right? Like, okay, he had to release some aggression there and 
I'm glad he didn't hit anything. So that's a good option. And so yeah, exercise can be a good release of that aggression energy too. Like um, using a slam ball or a kettlebell, like throwing something at a wall sometimes feels really good. Um, yeah, I think as well, something a little less physical would be writing it down or talking to someone too, right? Then you get the social engagement or writing it down. Sometimes just getting it out of your head takes away the threat of your thoughts of it, like cycling through. But as you said, not all of these are going to work for everyone. And that kind of goes back to those safety in me and the danger in me and, and taking the time to like think through what makes you feel safe, what, what gives you joy, what brings you pleasure, what makes you feel free. And those are your things that are going to help you to move in and out of those stress responses. And the danger ones are the ones that you're going to have to watch and maybe like help yourself when you're experiencing more of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. um, the recent episode we did about stress in the public floor and Jess and I were talking about uh, what we've been noticing with our clients and I was saying about with some of my pelvic pain clients, yes, with every, all the changes and stresses um, happening, their pain has increased. Mm -hmm. However, there have been some who, and intuitively, like I asked them why they felt their pain system symptoms have actually gone down. And they said, because they've been removed from their work environment, which Mm -hmm. was stressful. Mm -hmm. So yes, they are having different financial stresses or um, being at home with every children, everyone being at home, but that environment that was stressful has Mm -hmm. been removed, which that seemed to be what was really um, a big factor in their pain. And so now what we're also talking about, because we know, or we don't know when they will be back in that environment, but Mm -hmm. now working on all these different coping or management strategies so then when that time does come they will be prepared with how to deal with that stress being back in that environment yeah and I mean it's quite a time for like shining a light on all the things in our life that were we're not working and all the things in society that were are not working um I also feel for the people that in this situation are put into their situation of stress at home and so that's really hard too of not being able to escape that and so maybe that is that self-compassion that you can have for yourself for the response that might be shut down and it might be numbing and speaking kindly to yourself that that's what your body needs right now to get through there's a lot. It's a massive range of experiences for a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And who knew it would happen so quickly? My gosh. Yeah. And we wanted to touch on, I know um, we should, we could do like a whole separate episode on this, but we'll touch on it a bit is how, um, how all this can impact in pregnancy and postpartum. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it's totally, we'll touch quickly on each option, eh? Um, I think for all of them, again, my biggest thing would be to consider what is this, what brings out safety or feeling safety for you and what brings out a feeling of danger. 
and helping yourself in all of those situations to experience more of those things that bring you safety and also being your own safety with self-compassion. So those are the, the things that fall into all of those. Mm-hmm. But with pregnancy, um, I think the impact of stress is pretty well known. But what we also know is that prenatal yoga can actually have a really great impact on stimulating the parasympathetic or that safety relaxation mode in our nervous system. So there's lots of online prenatal yogas available. Um, So maybe that's an option that you could take at home, right? And creating safety within your home and doing all those options that we mentioned before can help you to get through this time. And again, using self-compassion and acknowledging that you could feel perhaps I would think in in pregnancy would be quite significant that you'd experience quite a paradox of emotions and that that would be totally normal. So feeling super excited and happy to meet your baby and also very scared for what that will look like in these times or feeling very grateful that you could keep your baby safe inside you and also desperately wanting that baby out. You could feel all of those things and that that is normal. And you can sit in both of those emotions at the same time. So I was going to say another part um, that we brought up on past episodes is the idea of meditation and affirmations in pregnancy, Mm -hmm. but also that can be used during birth and then also postpartum. So being in parenthood and motherhood um, and Right now, I just think with pregnancy, there are, yeah, so many added stresses because of the unknowns when it comes to labor. And uh, Rob and I have spoken many a times recently about, we, we keep seeing, I mean, new precautions continually come up and depending where you live in the world, mm-hmm. um, in terms of supports, maybe you thought uh, would be there for you in labor. Um, and even some places, partners are not able to be with you during labor. And both of us having gone through birth, like I can understand how stressful that mm-hmm. would be going into birth, knowing that that person as your support, or if you would plan to also have a doula with you, and if mm-hmm. those supports aren't there. Um, and even different things involved with birth, again, depending where you're planning to give birth, um, mm-hmm. some different um kind of strategies to help with birth may not be there. I know some places being in a tub is not an option mm-hmm. in that facility. Um, and, and just so many other, other things that are, are coming through on social media, depending where you live. So yeah, just to know that if you feel that way, it is extremely valid and normal and yes. it's, yeah, it's a tough, tough place to be. And I think I I completely agree. It's totally normal to feel that way. And also, sometimes, if you are in that fearful place or that shutdown place, affirmations can feel a little like denying what's happening. And so they can be good if they feel right for you. But if they feel fake a little bit in how much stress you're in, 
then trust that they're not for you. Maybe breath is what works for you, right? So again, it comes back to that list of like, what makes you feel safe? Does it feel safe for you to swear? Maybe that's your affirmation. Like, it's okay. Whatever makes you feel safe that you have control over. And so that's what I would focus on is making a list with your partner. And if you can bring in a virtual doula, having a list of things that you already know make you feel safe during your pregnancy, bring that in and have them remind you of it. And have your virtual support there or your actual support if you're allowed it and have them know that their role is to make you feel safe and supported and know that smiling and a slow, low, calm voice does cue relaxation. And maybe for you, it's going through, um, I know evidence-based birth has a really great uh, summary on pain management strategies. And I always recommend to my clients that they go look at them and decide maybe ahead of time, which ones would make you feel safe. And which ones do you think really would feel um, like joyful or pleasurable or again, calming to you and have that list for your partner or your virtual doula or even things that you can do. Cause some of them are ones that you can do on your own, like music um, or movement or uh, essential oils you could do. Breathing is my number one option for that. And I would practice it in pregnancy so that your body gets used to the fact that it calms down with it. It knows the second you start that breath that your body goes into this safe, relaxed mode so that when you do it in your birth, you feel that way as well. And your body knows it. It's familiar. And, and bring like cheesy stuff. So if you're in a hospital and you don't like bright lights, see if you can bring some battery operated candles that might give you a little bit of light change. And, and hopefully that's still allowed. If you don't like really loud noises and the hospital's noisy, bring earplugs. Like there, there are things that you can control and they seem silly, but they might make a big difference for you. I know I don't like a lot of noises. <laughs> that would definitely be something I would do. Um, with birth, if it's possible for you, skin to skin is really helpful for helping you and your baby regulate your nervous systems because it releases that oxytocin. So if you can do that, that's a really great way to help with stress in birth. Um, yeah, and then postpartum, I would also just like to normalize that it's very normal to feel shutdown or exhaustion or numb at that point. You can't escape and you can't fight the lack of sleep that you will get <laughs> or the discomfort that you'll feel probably from birth, right? So it is a stressor that we can't escape or, or fight. And so maybe just allowing that to be, I think that kind of explains why the fourth trimester and that like hibernation part of the fourth trimester and the rest period is so important so that we're not fighting that innate response for our body to like conserve everything for survival. 
yeah and skin to skin postpartum too is really great for that and not just in the first week like keep doing it it's so good even later like when your baby's months old it's so calming for our nervous systems breastfeeding is another situation with that too um, skin to skin helps with that and actually breath and anything that you do to feel calm or safe stimulates um, your letdown and so you get a quicker letdown and also you relaxing helps your baby to relax and the baby's jaw will relax with that so we know in adults that your pelvic floor and your jaw are the first muscles to contract under stress right and so if you think of that with a baby if we can relax the jaw then their latch would get to be a deeper latch and they'd have a better sex so that applies to feeding from a bottle or feeding from a breast yeah, yeah. those are those are such great tips and it's so funny because when i hear you talk i'm just like okay so everything i talk tell my clients i'm like we're so so similar with that and um yeah i just say again everything robin just said if you are pregnant or if you are postpartum or if you're um, planning to become pregnant in the future, you know, take those in and again, see what resonates with you. Um, because again, not all of those are going to resonate with you, whether it's for birth um, or postpartum, but some of them will. And so just kind of taking that moment to see what, what really fits with you. Um, Mm -hmm. sorry or make up your yeah. own like yeah. yeah whatever it is if it if mm -hmm. it's like twirling your hair do that my son does that when he's like self-soothing he twirls his hair so I mean like do your thing and yeah and know too that all of these things in all of those phases will help with your pain because anything that helps with your stress helps with your pain so pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy we know that's related to stress so anything to help you feel safe or relaxed will help with the pain there. Same with birth. If we can stimulate that relaxation response or the parasympathetic nervous system, pain threshold improves so you can take more pain. Um, same with postpartum and we know it with breastfeeding too. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of we've covered quite a bit um, and I know everyone is going to really appreciate hearing all of the amazing information you shared. Um, what would be kind of the key thing you want people to take away from this episode? Mm. To know that whatever your response to stress is, it's totally normal and it's your body's best attempt to try and help you survive. And if you can figure out what makes you feel safe and what gives you joy or pleasure, that generally also will help reduce your stress or it will help your pain. Awesome. Love it. Where can people find you, whether online or in person, once we can see people in person again? Right. Um, so I'm on uh, Instagram at physio.robin, R-O-B-Y-N. And the clinic that I off, um, offer services with, it's just me and, and another physio, Jenny. Uh, we work and it's called uh, Ebb and Flow Wellness. And so on Instagram, that's at your, Y-O-U-R, E-B-B, -B, and the word, 
F L O W. So, yeah. Perfect. And so we will put all that information in the show notes as well. So you can all connect with Robin and yeah, thank you again for being on. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I just want to say it's been such a lovely pleasure to be a part of your podcast. And I think you have done an incredible job of creating a supportive community and you're going to make me cry because I'm so honored to be on here with you. <laughs> I think you guys have created such an extensive resource and I have so much respect um, for the way that you empower and inform your audience and the way that you advocate. And actually I love the way that you challenge and explore the messages our society has given us. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Robin. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 